the Ghost Goal Podcast. It may have been a while, but we are back. Sorry for the couple of weeks of silence. We had one week of technical difficulties, followed by a week relaxing at the beach for uh, both myself, Alex, and uh, Javier, who joins me as usual. Welcome to the Ghost Call Podcast, episode 410. Uh, The episode uh, 410 was supposed to come out two weeks ago. It was actually a pretty decent one. It was all about the... Uh, the build-up to the final weekend, the championship playoff final that took place between uh, Luton and uh, Coventry, and then a little bit of wrap-up from the Premier League final weekend. Uh, But my file uh, got corrupted, Uh, so sorry about that. Yeah, these things happen sometimes. sucks. Uh, The week after that was uh, not... I had no excuse. I was just away at the beach. We were at the beach. Having a good old time. We were always talking about the teams being at the beach. Yeah. And we decided to go to the beach to join the teams. We did our our best impression of Chelsea uh, after they got knocked out by Real Madrid in the Champions League. Uh, The rest of their Premier League season was pretty much on the beach. Uh, And uh, yeah, we had a good old time out in Ocean City, myself and Javier. Uh, So sorry about that. I know it's a pretty pivotal point of the season, but we're back just in time for the Champions League final, Manchester City versus Inter Milan. Well, first of all, I have to start out after that little uh, explanation for the listeners. Javier, how are you doing today? Doing well, doing well. You know, coming in here, uh, trying to remember what I said on the last pod. Not going to talk about too much about that on this pod, but... uh, I mean, it doesn't matter because it never was released. So uh, it doesn't matter what you said on the last one. Say it again. (laughs) Well, you know, we we just, you know, great honorable mentions to uh, to Brighton's season. I thought Brighton had a great season. Same with Aston Villa. Uh, you know, Brighton getting Europa League is a great accomplishment. Same with Villa getting Conference League um, for Unai Emery um, and for De Serbia as well. Uh, you know, and for the teams that got relegated, you know, they made, they made huge mistakes. Um, you know, I think Leeds made a mistake by firing Marsh. I think a little bit too early. Um, you know, they didn't have a plan set for how they were going to carry this season out. Um, and it seemed like a, a lot of their attacking signings were geared toward Jesse Marsh, you know, making attacking signings or American signings, at least in, you know, uh, you know, Tyler Adams, in uh, Aronson, in um, Weston McKinney. Weston McKinney. And then you fire this coach and you know, bring in Sam Allardyce. It just, it just didn't seem like that was ever going to work. Well, first they brought in Javi Gracia who had like one or two good games and then went on a terrible run. And then they brought in Sam Allardyce for the last But again, like you brought in a Spanish coach and an English coach to do, you know, something that I, this, this, you know, American coach had set up the team to, I don't think they'd look that bad under Marsh. You know, I know they'd had a bad run of results. They look pretty bad. They hadn't won a game since like Liverpool in November before the World Cup when they fired him. So like a change was necessary. I, they just made the wrong decisions. I mean, we'll dance on their grave a little bit later. Uh, and there's obviously also Leicester and we already knew Southampton were down. Those those are the three teams, Leeds, Leicester, Southampton. They're got down to the championship next season to be replaced by Burnley, Sheffield United, and since we last recorded, uh, Luton Town beat Coventry in that uh, aforementioned championship playoff final. We uh, we did we did both predict thinking uh, 
in the uh, ghost pod that we Yeah, did. you just going to have to trust us on that one. Yeah, we both <laughs> uh, uh, did predict that we thought uh, Luton were going to make it through. Um, we both thought that, you know, Luton's experience, we actually, we did preview that game um, and we talked about how both teams were kind of a, you know, low block five the at the lost back. pod. Um, that we thought that it was going to be a low scoring game and it ended up being that. Um, and yeah, but Luton's... 2-1. I mean, we've seen we've seen more low-scoring championship playoff finals. Yeah, so. but Luton's Luton's experience in the end was what uh, what got them through, and and it's got to be a uh, yeah. I think I don't know if they how well they're going to do in the Premier League. We're going to have to see. They're going to have to make a lot of signings, and we'll see. They, I think they're going to have to do something similar to Nottingham Forest, where they have to invest a lot of money to to try to stay up. Um, or you know, I I don't think they have the the players that Fulham had when they came up this last season. You know the big names, players like Mitrovic, who could get you a bunch of goals and keep you, you know, in big games. Um, so it's just going to be a, a, a we'll, long we'll road about, for Luton we'll Town. Luton's hasn't been in the Premier League for I think since the nineties, right? Yeah, I think like the year we were so, born, I, <laughs> like ninety two yeah, or ninety three we'll, uh, was their we'll, last year. Yeah, we'll talk more about Luton as the summer goes on, but you know, exciting for them because uh, I think. Uh, did I read somewhere that you their stadium is like you have to walk through someone's house or something? Yeah, I've talked about it on this on this pod before. Uh, even like in the build up to them making the championship playoff final, before that, you have to walk through people's backyards, like through like a set of stairs that juts out into like just random people's backyards to get to the away stand. So, um, yeah, should be interesting. It's a pretty small club but it's uh, they've been building up to this point over a period of years similarly to how uh, uh, Brentford were doing things in the championship um, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about them in our previews for next season most likely and if they make any transfer big transfer moves in the summer we'll check in and talk about those as well but we've got the big one Javier the season defining and ending game of the 2022-2023 season the Champions League final will take place this Saturday 3 p.m. in Istanbul between uh, Manchester City and Inter Milan. So a lot has happened for Man City uh, since we last recorded. I mean, they already had the league wrapped up last time we recorded uh, after Arsenal dropped points at Forest. Uh, But they've beaten Manchester United in the FA Cup final to give themselves a great chance to equal Sir Alex Ferguson's 1999 treble winning Manchester United side. Uh, I think uh, there's no secret here. There's other things to preview in this match, but everyone's leading towards Manchester City. I'm sure both of us are very convinced that Manchester City are going to be winning this one. Can you talk about what makes this Manchester City team so great and why they are such uh, such odds-on favorites to equal that uh, 1999 treble winning side? I think because since Guardiola has switched to the, you know, essentially three at the back, you know, with... Walker as that like roaming center back that just any player that gets behind in behind uh, I think it's usually Diaz and Stones or Diaz and Laporte or Diaz and Akanji uh, I mean they have any combination of center backs playing um, but they'll they rotate the center backs um, and the right back and the left back because they have Ake they, they five five different center backs basically playing in that back line at any given time four or five of them um, and. Since he's like incorporated that system, took fullbacks basically completely out of his side. Which, if you look at this Pep Guardiola team, the way that it started and how he got three titles in four years, basically, or sorry, four and five years, was 
you know, he he came to the club and he spent two hundred million that first summer. You know, fifty million on Cancelo, fifty million on uh, Mendy, fifty million on Zinchenko, fifty million. You know, he came and Cancelo was a little bit later, but yeah, Mendy and uh, who was the right back? Walker. They signed that first uh, or that that's second was. Yeah, year. Walker, that Pep but was they, there. they, you know, they he came and, and signed a ton of fullbacks, and the fullbacks were were a huge part of his game. You know, a lot of the play initially for Manchester City in a team was getting the ball out wide. Um, you know, controlling possession similar to what this Manchester team is doing now, but, you know, blitzing teams with more of a press. Um, this City team isn't as much a press reliant. Um, they can sit back, actually, and defend, which hasn't really been a characteristic of Pep Guardiola teams in the past. Like, when you sit that sit, sit and think about this this City team, it's very different from the previous city teams of the past the Bayern Munich teams the Barcelona teams this I don't team, know about that they're still controlling games with possession are, but like they, but they they're so, all better at snuffing so. out counterattacks they're, and now no, I don't know about that they, I think they this is the best more, defensive team like, they go more direct because of Holland but they still try to keep the ball and just you know force other teams to step out and try and press them so they can nip it in behind for Holland or Grealish or Mares or whoever's starting think on the wing. I we've only seen flashes of the best of this team this season. Like, no, I, so far, I, I agree, but they've, been like, they've ramped up into gear this, uh, have, like, ever they since. Have, but we've only seen, like, flashes. And the fla- the fact that we've only seen flashes and this team's probably going to win a treble is horrifying. I mean, it, this team can get a lot better. You know, you can see where there's room for improvement. I think in this system that he has them playing right now, it it feels kind of helpless. There doesn't feel like there's been anyone who's even come close to stopping it. Do you mind if I lay out that system a little bit more? I feel like we've mentioned it in parts, like especially uh, talking about Walker, like you mentioned, and John Stones, you know, playing more in the midfield. But it's a three-two-five effectively that is basically driven by these four main players in midfield, this box midfield that has Stones and Rodri at the base of midfield. Stones can drop back into the defensive line to make it more of a like a traditional back four if they are being pushed back. And Kyle Walker can shift out to like a traditional right back in a back four. But usually on the ball, it's, it's Stones and Rodri just covering for that back three, sniffing out any sort of... Uh, lofted balls that teams try to play out when they get the ball back deep in their own box. Those two are the base of that box midfield, and the two players at the top of that box midfield have been Kevin De Bruyne and Gundogan since they've you know ramped up into this you know unstoppable form we've seen. We've talked about Kevin De Bruyne over past years plenty of times. He's an excellent player. He has a ton of assists. He's put the ball on a plate for Erling Haaland countless times this season. He's one of the best midfielders in the league. That goes without saying. But to see, once again, Ilkay Gundogan step up to the degree that he has in the run into this season, when it's been necessary, the two goals at Everton, when a lot of people, yourself included, were saying City could slip up at Everton and open the door for Arsenal. No such thing. Ilkay Gundogan had one of the goals of the season when the ball got played to him by Mares, and he took one touch with his thigh and then clipped it backwards with the second touch with his back to goal. It was a crazy, obscene goal. And then he followed it up with a beautiful free kick to to seal the game. He also played the assist to Holland like two minutes after scoring that opening goal against Everton. And then we can move on to this FA Cup final. 
where, you know, it wasn't that eventful of a game, but Ilkay Gundogan has two volleys, one 12 seconds two in, unbelievable that, you know, goals. win Just them the game. Perfect timing. He, and Majestic I've mentioned countless win. times on this pod that he was the one who scored the title-winning goal last season when they went down 2-0 against Aston Villa. He was the he one was, who got on the end of that. He was also Kevin the player who, the I don't know if post. you remember last season, there was a while when, like, De Bruyne went cold and I think he got hurt maybe. Gundogan scored for, like, seven, eight straight games. I remember he was unbelievable. He got into double-digit goals, I believe, and... You know, I, I don't remember him scoring a ton of goals at the tail end of, of last season after that run. He was still in the team, but during that run, City basically got a bunch of wins because of Gundogan, and he carried the team when the team needed him. And he seems like when he when the team needs him, he'll put the team on his back. He's doing it even more in this run into the season. And, you know, De Bruyne isn't playing badly either. You know, De Bruyne still scored the opening goal in that, like, title decider against Arsenal at the Etihad. He's still you know, having a good season. So you, you put all that together with obviously Erling Haaland's record-breaking season, Jack Grealish having the season of his life. He looks like even better than he did at Villa, which I didn't think was possible, but he's managed to figure things out for, for Manchester City. And then you've got, you know, Bernardo Silva scoring in the Champions League semifinal. Grealish, Grealish's role this season has been, you know, developing. I think at the beginning of the season, he was still kind of playing a little bit like he was playing at Villa and like we'd seen him play last year for City where he was holding on to the ball a little bit too much. He was losing the ball in bad places and City were getting punished for that. He still occasionally does do that. You still see it occasionally in the Manchester City team. It always comes Have you, to have you seen the chances created stats for Grealish this season? But I was going to say, but Grealish's yeah. um, you know, work rate on on not just the wing that he plays on because he plays on both wings. He switches all the time, but the biggest moments for me, recent memories for Grealish have actually been defensively. Like there's been several times where he's been the last man back, like tracking back, you know, in a counter attack or off a corner kick. Um, or, you know, he's, you know, like I said, they're not playing with any fullbacks that have a lot of speed. They have center backs, you know, Walker's really that last like safety veil. Sometimes Grealish ends up being the last safety veil and he's, he's, Come into that, you know, just show safety up. valve, veil, veil, Alex, like a, you know, like a veil over safety, safety veil. All right, the, the saying I've heard is safety valve. I was just wondering if we had another. Uh, what was it? What's the book? Um, I, I was thinking of blanket, Alex, safety blanket. You know, like a. Okay, I've heard. Yeah, all right, <laughs> safety blanket. That one sounds more familiar to me than safety veil. But yeah, okay. No, but. Can I just say, you mentioned he was playing like he was at Aston Villa last season at City. And I think he's playing better than he ever did at Aston Villa. And he reached heights at Villa where he was as meaningful to them as Eden Hazard was to those Chelsea teams the last couple of years before he left for Real Madrid. Everything ran through him. He he would track back like even 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 more important than Eden Hazard because he would track back and do those kinds of things. It was just like he was trying to... F- find his way in the city team last season couldn't quite find his role similarly to how Riyad Mahrez had like a not so great first season at Manchester City it can be tough for those players who are used to being force-fed the ball to all of a sudden have to fit in with other players of similar talent to them and Grealish is one that I don't think we uh, personally us two have praised enough this season but you know has been just as important as you know someone like John Stones moving into midfield and you know Changing how Pep, how we've seen Pep Guardiola play football. as wingbacks. 
They, you know what? They just got rid of wingbacks, wing yeah, like you said. I think the whole Joao Cancelo thing that went down in January where Cancelo got all pissy about uh, kids like Rico Lewis starting ahead of him and Pep just saying, all right, fine, you're out. We'll loan you to Bayern. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. This is just Pep's like follow-up big F you to Joao Cancelo on top of beating his Bayern Munich team in the Champions League quarterfinal. He doesn't need wingbacks. He can just put a center back in midfield and they'll be just as good, if not better. Doesn't Cancelo still so, get medals for like all of these trophies they win? I don't know. I don't know the Bundesliga's uh, rules on that, but uh, he's uh, available this summer if you want him at Arsenal, Javier. Yeah, I don't really want him. Okay. That being said, they still do have to, you know, put the final nail in the coffin, seal the treble by winning the Champions League final this Saturday. Let's get this out of the way right now, um, because, you know, we are almost 20 minutes in. How many do you think Manchester City will win by? I think it'll be a relatively close game. Um, I'm not predicting it to be as much of a blowout as the Real Madrid game. I think we'll see a pattern of play similar to what we saw in the FA Cup final where um, Manchester City, it seems like they have a method right now where in two leg ties, they don't, they don't you know, go crazy in that first leg. They really try to probe their opponents. Um, and, it, and it seems to be happening as well when they play new opponents as in, in these cup ties is they kind of play safe in the first half they stay back you know they don't send too many players forward they just try to use De Bruyne and Holland to you know Holland to to hold up the ball um while Holland's holding up the ball they're slowly advancing up the field um doing giving goes with Holland letting him do runs in behind giving the ball to De Bruyne to distribute the ball to Holland's one of his and they're not really opening themselves up at all if the game is still even or maybe they're only up one goal at halftime you know, you'll see Pep Mapix's tactical adjustments. He might make a change or two. And suddenly City will win or blitz you and score two or three goals in that second half. So I, do I think that that's it's, is it going to be like that? I thought, you know, I thought they were going to score more against Manchester United. You know, United did a good job for that not to be the case. But yeah, I think I think it's going to be 3-0 Manchester City. I don't know if Inter score. I think Inter have had a relatively easy run to the final um, I think it might be like nil-nil at halftime and people might think that it, it'll be a close game and then City will pull away in the second half and win. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree that Manchester City are going to win. I personally think it's going to be 2-0, maybe 2-1. I, I agree with you that the, the bloodbath may be a, a bit overzealous, you know, people predicting that. It might be might not be fair to enter and it might be giving city too much credit for a team that obviously has not won the champions league yet. And we have seen them heavily favored in a champions league final before come out and, you know, have a good performance, but, you know, get shut out by uh, a, a very good defensive Chelsea team. I don't think this inter team are anywhere near as good defensively as that Chelsea team were. But what I do think they have is players up top that, you know, on the right day can even the odds somewhat for them. You know, it, it, it may require someone like Lautaro Martinez or Edin Dzeko, a former Manchester City player, of course, who, you know, played in, for that 2012 team that uh, won the league on the last day with the Aguero goal. He, I think he actually scored the equalizer in that game off a corner. Um, 
players like Lautaro, Edin Dzeko, and maybe Lukaku off the bench, I, I wouldn't bet on it because I'm obviously no longer the biggest Romelu Lukaku fan, but you can't doubt that the guy has you know, the talent to make an impact if properly motivated and given the right opportunities. Uh, that being said, th- those guys can maybe equalize it, but the, the players that I think are really going to have to show up and have world-class, just a world-class 90 minutes are Andre Onana in, in goal for Inter. Players in that back line like DeVry, like Bastoni, even if those players do end up having the best performance of their lives, it still might not be enough. And that's just to keep it competitive because Manchester City, like we've been going on about for, for minutes now, are just in such good form. And, and maybe it may even take another Pep Guardiola overthinking mistake, like in that Champions League final against Chelsea when he neglected to play Fernandinho, like any sort of defensive midfielder and instead went with Gundogan in the base of that midfield. Not a role that he is at his best at playing. So if that all that stuff happens, maybe Inter have a chance. But I, I just I just couldn't I couldn't uh, put my money on it. I, I really couldn't. Um, so yeah, I'll I'll go two one for the final score. You're saying three nil or was it four nil? Three nil. Three three nil. Okay. Good luck to him because uh, I, I do not want to see Man City win the treble, but it, it just feels inevitable at this point. I just I, I know that I know that Inter did get a decent result against Napoli at home earlier in the season when they won one nil, um, and then they played you know mostly a second team against uh, against them in because they had the the Coppa Italia final I believe so and they were already qualified for Champions League so they played a second team against Napoli in that game that they played a couple of weeks ago um, and they lost three one. But it just feels like Inter, when they're not going to have the ball that much and they have to defend, you know, the the team's not that good. I know they play five at the back, but I just, I I don't trust them at all. I think they're going to concede a ton of goals and they're not going to have possession very much. And if they maybe have one or two chances and they score it, it's going to be one goal they have. They're, they're not scoring more than one. So That's why I'm going 2-1. Uh, another pretty big game uh, in European competition will be the Europa Conference League final. Just to hit on this real quick, that is, again, the third tier of European competition. The Europa League final went on last week, and uh, Sevilla beat uh, Jose Mourinho's Roma in the in the final of that uh, on penalties. Uh, but West Ham will be taking part in a European final uh, against uh Another Italian team. Italian teams in all three European Cups this year. Uh, Fiorentina, Wednesday at uh, 3 p.m. This may be out uh, after that. I'm not sure when I'm going to get to uh, editing and and posting it. So if it's already happened, uh, forgive us. But who do you like in that one, Javier? I mean, I... I, I, Fiorentina have have been really good in the Conference League. Um, I think one of the Italian teams has to win, Alex. Roma lost against Sevilla. Inter are gonna get spanked. I don't know. I, I think I think Declan Rice might be uh, have have a you know a foot out the door. I think Fiorentina have everything to play for in this game to get uh, Europe next season. And I mean that's true of both teams. You yeah, know, it's true West Ham won't be in Europe. They almost got teams. relegated. This is their only chance of getting into the Europa League for next season. I think Fiorentina win it just because. I don't know they why. are the I most. They are the more confident attacking team. I, I, I like Nico uh, Gonzalez, the Argentine winger who was injured for the World Cup, but I thought could have started for Argentina at that World Cup if he had been healthy. Uh, Jonathan Icone, who they bought from 
what's the team in, in France that I'm forgetting that won the league last year? Lille. Lille. Jonathan Ikone from Lille. You know, he's, he's, he's a Champions League player. He's been playing Champions League at a, a different club before and just came to Florence this year. They have a they have a nice team and uh, what's his name Amrabat the Moroccan midfielder who was excellent at the World Cup they they've got a, a team of very solid like international players so as so do West Ham obviously I, I just I, I don't trust I don't trust West Ham in European competition like just after that Eintracht Frankfurt semi final last year in the Europa League where they completely shat the bed like got a red card and looked terrible for most of the two legs. I don't know. I just don't know if I can trust them to go out in like a big European final and beat a team with the, the you know the attacking talent of of Fiorentina. So uh, if we're wrong, you guys will know by the time you listen to this. Uh, but uh, let's talk about some other stuff. There's been plenty going on. Like we mentioned, it's been two or three weeks since we last uh, posted a, a pod, and there's been a ton going on in the meantime. Uh, we'll stick to some of the more recent headlines because there's some you know big ones that have been developing recently. I do want to jump to Chelsea. I know it's very Homerish of me, but uh, it looks like Ingolo Kante will be leaving after seven glorious years at Chelsea that included one Premier League title, one Champions League title, a Europa League title, uh, and an FA Cup. It looks like he's going to be leaving at the end of his contract at the end of June. He's going to, to China. join Karim. No, he's going to Russia. Saudi Arabia to join Karim Benzema at Al Ittihad. Oh, Saudi Arabia in Saudi the other, Arabia. Yeah, yeah, yes. the other. Oh, one of the other ones. Oh, sorry, I, Javier. Javier, I have you up. seen the rumors? So have you seen the rumors for like his for and Benzema? Dude, his salary for one year would be one hundred million. He's going to be injured for half the time. What are they doing? It, it, Possibly, but you know, have you not been looking at sports recently? Saudi, the Saudi Arabian, you know, sporting fund or whatever has been making moves in all kinds of sports, whether it's boxing, golf with the live golf tournament they just merged with the PGA today. Uh, they're, they're being serious about this sporting project. They're, I think, they're trying to like boost their image in like global sports so that they can, you know, host a World Cup sometime soon. I think they saw the Qataris do it and they think fuck it, we've got just as much, if not more money than them. Let's do that too. Uh, and instead they're going out and they're getting some of the, the biggest names in world sport, regardless of their age. They obviously already have Ronaldo. There's rumors that they're trying to sign Lionel Messi to go to one of their clubs. And now today, this club Al Etihad that I'd never heard of before today <laughs> have signed uh, Karim Benzema, official as of now. He's making like 600 million over three years and he's 34, 35 years old. And Golo Kante is a little younger. He's like 32 now, but he's getting a multiple year deal with like worth hundreds of millions. It's uh, it's sad to see him go, but I, I can't begrudge him that. Like Chelsea, Chelsea aren't going to pay him that, <laughs> you know? So he had a great career at Chelsea. I, I feel bad that he didn't really get the send off that he deserved. And the same goes to Mason Mount, who, you know, it's a very different situation. But there's just been so many links to Manchester United where there's smoke. You just have to assume there's some kind of fire and I'm holding out hope that it's just a negotiation tactic from Mount's agents to try and, you know, get Chelsea to or get the execs at Chelsea to meet their valuation for what uh, he wants for, for salary. But if he leaves, I'm going to be heartbroken, man. Like It's going to be awful. You've asked me about it a couple of times. I've just kind of like ignored the question, moved on, but 
it's coming down to the point now where you're just kind of like, oh, just put me out of my misery. Just let me know what's going to happen so I can, you know, know to be excited for next season or not. Yeah, um, I mean, it just so we'll it, see. It feels like it's a big. There's a lot of looming questions over Chelsea right now. A lot of players that might go out the door. I think Chelsea have to get that sorted out before we can start talking about the signings that are going to be coming in. Dude, that's one thing. There's tons of players that are going to be going out the door that I am fully aware of. You know, the fact that they're up for sale and completely like okay you still with need it. to see them leave. But the before, one, yeah. the one player that Lukaku. I don't want to leave that shouldn't be leaving is Mason, is Mason Mount. Right. Yeah, fuck well, Lukaku. Why is Mount even in that conversation? It's you have 10 other players. Cause he's got, cause he's got out. one year left on his deal yeah, and Chelsea wild. aren't willing to it's pay wild. him top dollar, which uh, is bullshit. In my opinion, they should be willing to pay him top dollar. He's been our best player for the last, you know, two of the last three years, at least he won player of the season. He played the, the assist to Kai Havertz, the defense splitting assist to Kai Havertz to score the goal that won us the champions league. He's a star player and he's, going to be a star player for Maurizio Pochettino if he decides to stay and if Chelsea cop on and decide to pay him. So hopefully that happens. And if he leaves, I'll cry about it on here. What else do we want to hit on? Uh, before we go, uh, we should just mention Zlatan Ibrahimovic has retired. He retired after the AC Milan final game of the, the season. Any quick words on Zlatan Ibrahimovic? I feel like he's, you know, of the Ronaldo Messi, maybe slightly below that tier, but, you know, he should be revered in that same sort of light. Yeah, I don't and know it's why. It's a legendary I feel like come to an end at 42. He, he might pop up again, but uh, yeah, he, he's going to be around the football scene forever. Um, he's legend of the game, legendary personality. Um, you know, he's going to be like a shack in the football scene. You know, he'll be around forever. We'll see him. He'll be. Maybe, there. yeah. I think so. He's too much. He's too big of a personality to stay out of the limelight. But uh, yeah, unbelievable career, journeyman to have won. I think every league title, you know, did something that other players didn't do. Going to all these other teams, always winning. You know, maybe it was a little too toxic to stay on any team for more than a couple of years. But uh, yeah, just uh, absolute legend of the game. Never seen anyone like him, and I don't think we ever will again. For any of you very new fans who also happen to watch Ted Lasso. The, uh, the short-lived character Zava on this final season of Ted Lasso is 100% based off Zlatan Ibrahimovic, like without a doubt. It's, oh, yeah, uh, it's honestly sure. a little bit, it's a little bit too on the nose if you ask me, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's the, that's the kind of character we're talking about uh, when you mention Zlatan Ibrahimovic, a guy who talks massive shit and hypes himself up unbelievably, but fully backed it up pretty much everywhere he went. So uh, it's very sad to see him retire, but the man played until he was 42, you know, had more some injuries at the end of the career. But I think he still had like 15 goals and 19 appearances last the, the, the final like season that he played for AC Milan without any injuries. So he's was in his 40s, still putting up solid goals per game numbers. Uh, I should also mention Ange Postacoglu, uh, the Celtic manager who just finished up uh, winning a treble at Celtic over the weekend. He was announced on Monday as Tottenham's new manager. Uh, Javier, if you don't have anything to say about him, I'd, I'd be happy to just sort of mention. Yeah, know. I don't really know too much about him. Uh, I was just reading, you know, a little articles seeing that he'd, you know, got done rounds in Australia and Japan. And it seems like he's a journeyman who's come been kind of come up the ranks. And now he's been given his big chance. So I think he was at Celtic as well. Yeah, he was at Celtic, you know, just until the other day when they, you know, sealed another treble. Uh, he'd only been there for a year or two, 
but he's an exciting like manager to welcome to the Premier League. He is uh, an Australian international. I think ethnically he may be Romanian, but uh, you know, uh, like you said, did come up in Australia. He's a big personality, like you'd expect uh, any middle-aged Australian man to be. He's great on the mic and like post and pre-game uh, interviews. Uh, has very little filter, and I-, I think maybe a welcome, like refreshing introduction to that uh, Tottenham dressing room after you know multiple managers who were a bit more defensive-minded, uh, like Conte, like Mourinho more pragmatic managers. He's one who, you know, similar to Brendan Rogers at Celtic, he, you know, took great pride in producing high pressing, exciting attacking teams. We'll see how he'll mesh that with, you know, the squad that's available to him at Tottenham. He may not have Harry Kane next season, but we'll obviously get to that when there's something breaking there. Um, but yeah, I'm interested to see how it works out. And I think the Tottenham fans will be happier with a manager like him because they seem to want more attacking, entertaining football rather than the defensive pragmatic style, which, you know, hasn't really gotten them anywhere the last couple of managers either. So we'll see how that one works out. All right, Javier, let's close out there. If you want to follow Javier on Twitter, you can follow him at JavierRev9. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at ASMOS92. And you can follow the podcast socials at GhostGoalPod. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please go ahead and give the pod a rating and review if you can. All those new ratings and reviews help new listeners to find the pod, and we always appreciate it when you guys help us grow this thing. Enjoy the Champions League final on Saturday, and until next time, see you. <laughs>